Hi guys, welcome back to the Don't Stop Me Now podcast episode four. How is everybody out there in podcast land? I hope everybody's doing well. It's another Monday, start to your week. I hope that this podcast can bring a little joy to your day. So last week we had on Catherine from South Africa. I hope you heard her interview or our conversation She was super candid. I actually learned stuff about her story that I didn't know. Um, I had no, I don't know if I, I don't remember. I really don't remember knowing that she had been raped. So that felt like that was new to me. I don't know if I had been told that before, how I wouldn't have remembered that, but I don't remember that. Um, But sometimes when you're talking to somebody and you can actually see their face and you're talking, it's like you kind of may have forgotten messages that you've had back and forth through DM. So, and we have... You know, we had many recorded messages back and forth through, um, whenever I say DM, I always, in my head, it says district manager to me. And I'm so programmed to think DM is district manager. Direct message. So we always had these uh, direct messages we always have because of our time difference. Um, And anyways, I don't know if she told me that before, but I found her story really so, you know, it's so honest and she truly is another one of those cases where you just, it just came out of, you know, right field, even though she had a feeling years ago. And uh, it was, it was interesting to hear her talk about denial. Cause I feel like I lived in that denial as well. Like so much. So it was blaring in my face that I was with somebody high risk and I just didn't think that this could actually happen. I mean, he was right here in my house and like, he doesn't have HIV. I mean, I would know I'd be able to look at him somehow and be able to tell that was how I felt about it. So it just, to me, did not feel like there was any way, like almost felt like if he had it, his body would be telling him and he would know, you know, (laughs) and he didn't know. Anyways, I hope the volume was okay for that. We were doing it through a Zoom call and Zoom records the audio And so um, I was able to upload the audio and then go from there. And I noticed that when I spoke versus when she spoke, the lines were bigger and bolder on Audacity when I was editing. So I thought, oh gosh, I hope my voice wasn't so, wasn't overpowering. But I also do sound like like an excited puppy when I'm talking to her. And I think I sound a little bit ridiculous. So I apologize. I feel like I'm like so excited and I just it's not my normal calm self, but it's like, you know, when you're interviewing somebody, it's a different dynamic. Obviously, you're not just sitting here alone in your closet talking into a microphone, you're actually facing somebody. And you know, you want them to feel comfortable. And you want this to be interesting for people to listen to and you don't want to blow it. And it's the first time I was recording with somebody um, on the other side. And I was like praying and hoping that after it would upload it and everything would work as planned. And it did, it worked. Okay. So I was very happy about that, but yeah, I noticed that. Yeah. I'm recording. My son's coming in here to go to the bathroom. I don't know why he has to use my bathroom, but he does. Where was I? So yeah, it seemed like the volume was a little bit loud on my end, but I'm working with it. And speaking of volume, so this microphone that I bought for this podcast, I'm so excited about it. It's on a little tripod. It's got the cool little pop filter in front of it, I guess. So if you spit or whatever, no, it actually, like, I think it just, it's supposed to soften some of the syllables that you say that make them, I don't know, like maybe a K sound or something. It's supposed to soften it. So anyways, um, I've got the whole setup here. 
and I had recorded the first two podcasts speaking into it. (laughs) I didn't realize later, I couldn't figure out why the volume was so low. And I wrote to Podbean, which is the hub, you know, where I upload the podcast and I wrote to them and, you know, they're like, you know, of course they're telling me to turn the volume up on everything, which is like, yes, I know I did that. And there, I don't remember what their other recommendations were just for the people to turn their volumes up as loud as they could. And, you know, I'm like, yeah, these are like seasoned listeners. Like my brother's been listening to the radio like his whole life. Like he knows how to turn the volume up. It's not that like something's wrong. I don't know what it is, but there's no, the audio is really low. And I had at least four people write to me and share that with me that they couldn't hear it very well. And so, um, I figured it out all on my own. I was so excited. So it turns out, hold on, I got to let my dog in. Come on, Finn. You want to come in? Come on. So it turns out Audacity is what I'm recording on. It's a free software um, that you just upload or download on the web. Do you upload it or do you download it? I never know what the right term is. I think I downloaded it. Yeah, I downloaded it to my computer. So downloaded Audacity and I had Audacity open and then I plugged my microphone in and I thought I was talking into my microphone. And then, you know, I remember Oprah talking about when you have those moments, was it an aha moment that she talked about or the light bulb moment where something's like nagging at you, but you're kind of ignoring it, but it really is your answer, but you need to like get yourself out of your trance. And like, I know most of you won't get this if you're younger, but I remember Oprah being really big on this whole concept on pay attention to that thing that's nagging at you. Well, (laughs) I kept seeing in the area where it shows what your, your microphone is. And it said real tech. And I was like, ignoring it, although it's something about that looked wrong. And then I thought, finally, finally, I don't know. Days later, I decided to look and see my microphone name, and it's called Tonor, T-O-N-O-R. And I look at, I'm like, that's not Realtek. And I'm like, Realtek, Realtek speakers, Realtek, that's all computer related. That's the microphone on my computer. So uh, I go to the little drop down menu looking for my microphone, and it's not there. There's something else that says mono stereo or something. Nothing said Tonor. And so I could not figure out what was going on. It's plugged in. Why is it not picking this up? And this is a brand new laptop. And so I decided just to Google. Google does have so many answers. It's amazing. So I just started typing in what the problem was. And before you know it, you know, before you're even done typing the rest of what you're looking for, it finishes the thought for you because obviously other people have done this and looked up the same thing. And that's always comforting because then you're like, okay, there's going to be an answer because it already popped up. So I say something like, you know, Audacity isn't picking up my microphone. So it turns out that the Audacity program has to be turned off all the way first, and then you plug the microphone in and then turn it on and then it will pick up the microphone. You can't just plug it in to the program after the program's already open. Um, I think that's just the first time though. After that, I think it will pick it up, but it's that initial startup. So that was it. And um, I wrote to Podbean and told them that I figured it out and they did not really care. (laughs) I thought I'd just offer them some 
advice if anybody else had this issue. And I look like a robot wrote back to me, but because they had initially tried to help me, but they could not um, give me an answer. And I was so proud of myself that I figured it out on my own. And um, I had mentioned in, I think it was my episode number two, about really liking podcasts and liking radio and listening to Howard Stern and all of that from the past. And I forgot to mention that um, I was a radio TV film major at San Jose State. That's my degree. I have a degree in radio TV and film. And um, it is very interesting to see that I never used it out of college. I went directly into administrative assistant jobs and went into pharmaceuticals. And then I ended up getting married and having kids and not working for nine years and then went into substitute teaching. So I worked at Channel 36 for a very short amount of time, um, well, like a year and a half as an intern slash gopher. And I was getting paid like five bucks an hour to do like little menial jobs around the newsroom, which was really fun. I learned a lot and it was very exciting to do live news, even though it was just small beans, San Jose news. Um, But that was, you know, that was what I went to college for. And I have to say that I didn't know what I was going to go to college for. I went to San Jose State and it was getting to be, I don't know, mid-year and you had to declare your major. And I remember thinking, I don't know what I want to be. Like, I just turned 18. I I want to be like married with kids. Like, <laughs> that's not in the book. I don't, They had like a book of like majors. I'm like, I have to pick one of these. I never saw myself as a career person. That was not my mindset, but I knew I needed to go to college for my mental health. I needed to get out on my own because I was somebody who had a lot of anxiety through my youth and, um, and it did fix all of that. It's crazy. It really did. I did a video on how moving away from home fixed my anxiety. I could never sleep over at anybody's house. I always had like full blown, like panic attacks. Anyway, um, I had to declare a major and I really, I looked through that book of majors and I knew I loved TV. I mean, I did. And I was very fascinated by the real world and shows like that. I remember seeing like one of those first pictures of the group in San Francisco walking down the street, who knows where they were going. And it was like a book from the real world. And I think I might've purchased it. Well, of course I did. (laughs) You couldn't rent those and there was nothing online at the time. There was no online really at the time. So I had this, the real world book and I couldn't wait for it to come out. And there was pictures in there of the group walking down the street with the crew surrounding them with boom mics and cameras. And I thought, wow, that's like, no one thinks that that is there. Like we do not see that. And to me, I mean, maybe everybody's fascinated by that. I don't know. I was just I just, and it's not like you don't know that that's happening, but you do, you do in a way don't want to believe that when you're watching these shows, that there is a crew that's pretty massive around these people. And I just found it fascinating. And I just really thought that this was my direction. And so I went in, oh, and also radio and TV film didn't require any science. It was really one of the easiest majors. Didn't require any science, obviously. It's um, on the arts side. I have a Bachelor of Arts. And it didn't require me having to get up and speak. That was a huge fear of mine. If I got into a class the first time I'd go into like a new class in college and you'd sit down and they'd tell you about the syllabus when I saw the word oral presentation or just the word oral, if I heard the word oral, 
I would get myself out of the class. I would not take that class. I obviously had to take public speaking and I did end up taking drama one because out of all the public speaking classes, it was the easiest one. People had told me it would be the easiest. And it just so happened that it was during the semester where I got shot in a bank robbery. So that had happened right in the beginning of right before Easter break. It happened on a Wednesday. I don't think I went to my Thursday, Friday classes and then spring break had started. And so I had all of that week or whatever to get ready and come back to school which I did. And I remember we had to tell a story when we came back from spring break. And I remember I was like, I was kind of excited, but again, just dreaded speaking in front of people. And um, I knew I would have to tell this story. Like, how can I not tell this story? And it had just happened. It was like, and I remember people looking at me like, almost like I was an alien, like they could not believe what I was saying. And then almost, I felt almost embarrassed, like, this isn't like, I shouldn't even be sharing this. Like, this is weird. I'm weird. Like I got shot. Um, yeah, I got shot. So it was, I remember just that being kind of funny, but that was, um, I, yeah, I definitely didn't want to do those classes. Um, they just gave me so much anxiety. I'd freak out for like, my gosh, like two weeks before I'd have to like even do one thing in front of somebody in drama, we'd have to like get up and tell a joke. They were really basic things. And I would usually try to go first so I could just get it over with. Cause I would be just beside myself. Like I would make myself sick and my gosh, it's a crazy what public speaking does to people. And now I'm, I kind of get off on it. Like, I think it's fun. Like, I don't know how that happened, but it did. I really, really love to speak. And I, well, I think subbing probably made me think of all that differently. You just have, you're in front of an audience all the time and I'm really comfortable with it now. So, so yeah, I picked, um, radio TV film because it was easy and there was barely any public speaking. And I do remember taking a class where he said, if you give the report, you know, we had to do a report on whatever, something on radio. If you give the report and speak in front of the class, it's an automatic A. If you write the report and don't speak in front of the class, the highest grade you can get is a C minus. And I'm like, I will take the C minus. And I did. I'm like, I'm not getting up in front of the class and reading this. He goes, you can just even read it and I'll give you an A. And I was like, nope, not doing that. So I got my degree and, um, you know, it worked, thank God, for me to become a substitute teacher. I needed to have a degree, so it's come in really handy for a lot of things, but I didn't end up going into that field. Um, just administrative assistant jobs were kind of where I, en- I ended up working for Cadillac right out of a college. It was a temp job that was like a full-time job for a couple years. And um, and then I worked for pharmaceutical companies um, where Google is right now in Mountain View. That was where the pharmaceutical company was at the time. It's no longer, obviously, Google took over the building. But um, yeah, it was there in Mountain View. I, I worked for Alza Pharmaceuticals, A-L-Z-A, who I don't think they're around anymore. Um, but anyways, I always loved radio, TV, and film. And I always loved radio. I loved hearing Howard. And so it's just really neat to think that this is where I'm, you know, it's kind of full circle. Here I am, a big old grown up and I'm I'm finally using my major although, you know, all of the technology that we have now wasn't even there wasn't a whisper of any of this back then. We didn't have laptops. We had word processors. I had this big clunky thing. It printed out, it was like green type. I remember that. It had a little screen on it. I could basically write essays and save them. 
I could print them. I could, I think I could like kind of edit them a little bit. I think I could save them. It's sort of hard to remember. Who knows whatever happened to that big dinosaur. It had a big handle on it and the handle was used as a stand also. And then the, like the keyboard would like pop off and you know, you'd put it in front of you. It was connected with a cord and then you could just slide it back on the front. <laughs> so big and heavy. Oh my gosh. So yeah, the technology then compared to now is it's just night and day. We had in our radio class, I know for editing purposes, we had regular ribbon tape, you know, it was, we were recording on ribbon, like cassette tape. And if we wanted to edit something out, we would have to listen with headphones and find the spot where we'd want it to stop. We would mark it off with a Sharpie and cut those two pieces out with, with scissors. And then we would tape the two ends back together. It was special tape. And then the tape would go only on one side, obviously not to interfere with the other side where it was being played. I mean, yeah, times have changed a lot. I can't even imagine what that whole building is like now. I bet it's totally revamped. We had like a radio recording studio and then we had um, a regular like TV studio. And then I was also, like I said, I was working at Channel 36 News. So I was you know, getting to be in a news studio, a real news studio with, you know, recording equipment. I was editing. I would know the stories going into the news and I would get to pick the pictures that were in the upper corner. You know, if like there's a fire, then they've got the picture up in the corner of, you know, whatever, a fire truck and fire or whatever. And we had a lot of standard pictures that we used, but I'd try to be creative sometimes and use other stuff. And the director didn't always go with what I used or would prepare. Um, sometimes he would just go with other stuff, but yeah, it was interesting listening to all of them talking through the headphones. And it was just like how we learned in school, you know, like get ready camera one, you know, and then, okay, go to camera one, you know, get ready camera two, go to camera two, you know, like the director is, it's a, it's a really crazy, stressful job, but I think that they just love it. And once you become good at it, it's probably really exciting to be able to pull off directing live news. I'm sure it's really fun. So yeah, Channel 36 News was a blast. I could talk about that for a long time because I was there for a year and a half. It was really fun. A few things that I wanted to go back after I was listening to my podcast, I sort of forgot to explain that when I had taken, these are just a few things that had come to my mind that I didn't follow up with when I was explaining my story. So when I had taken that picture of all the blood that was drawn the day that I was diagnosed and I'd put it on Facebook and said, oh my God, look at all this blood. Like, I don't know what's going on, what they're going to find out. Da, 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 da. I never followed up after that on Facebook. And so <laughs> I just went radio silent as somebody put it. And somebody finally reached out and said, Jennifer, it's been like four days since you put that picture up and like, are you okay? Like we haven't heard anything. And of course I hadn't shared on Facebook that I'd been diagnosed with HIV later that afternoon. I had just avoided Facebook and it the whole thought of saying anything to anybody on there. was just like, Oh my God, what a mess I got myself into. Like I shouldn't have been telling anybody I was sick and now I've got to explain myself or at least I felt like I had to. What I did is I ended up just sharing with people that I had pneumonia, and that was what I did in the beginning. I just shared that I had pneumonia, and I left it at that for Facebook people and people in my personal life. I did share it with them. Like, I didn't have a problem telling people in my personal life that I had it, but I wasn't ready to put it out on my Facebook 
quite yet. That took a little bit more time and it really, it, it, you know, I wanted to ask Eric how he felt about it. I mean, he was like, always like, it's just better to be out and open than nobody will have questions. And, you know, like, and if they do, they can come to you. Then there's no awkwardness because you're open and you're comfortable about it. He always felt fine with me sharing it. So yeah, that, that was how it started. I put it out on a Facebook post and it was really scary. And I got really just amazing support back. But of course that was all my family and friends. So it's kind of expected, right? And, um, but it was really, it really did help me move forward into making my YouTube video about five months later, four and a half months later. That of course was not the same with regards to support. It was good you know, I got a lot of good feedback, but my gosh, I got, <laughs> that was where all the negative feedback came from and still does to this day. And, um, what can I say about that? Okay. So the other thing I had said is that I had been thinking that I would have to have, I would have to drive to San Francisco to see a specialist because my gosh, there's not going to be anybody near me that will know anything about HIV. And I couldn't have been more wrong. My doctor is, she works for the County of Santa Cruz and she is right here in my town. Like she's here every Friday and I go to a county clinic and, um, yeah, she's been my doctor since the very beginning. I didn't have to drive to San Francisco. My medication is covered under my insurance. Well, my insurance has been free since my divorce because I'm a single mom with three kids. I have Medi-Cal, which is state insurance and it's basically low income insurance and I've had it for 12 years. So everything medically speaking is covered and my kids as well. So that's where I'm at right now. Don't know what the future holds with that once they get older and they're out of the house. And, you know, eventually I'll probably have to look into ADAP, which is the AIDS Drug Assistance Program. There's always programs available. My nurse told me, don't worry, you're never, ever going to have to pay out of pocket. And from what I've seen through advocacy, she's 100% right. So... Oh yeah, and I forgot to mention that the person that gave it to me, he just assumed when he gave my name and number to the clinic that they called me and that I tested and that I was negative and went on with my life. When he didn't hear from me, he just assumed that that was what had happened because I'm sure he assumed that if I was positive, I would have called him. <laughs> he didn't realize that they didn't get a hold of me. And, you know, again, I don't know why they didn't go get a hold of me. We can't, we couldn't get a direct answer on that. And you know, the county of Santa Cruz, the health department was livid. This this woman I'd spoken to, um, she was furious and she was going to get to the bottom of it. And then it just kind of faded and people didn't care as much after a while. But the way she made me feel, she made me feel like I was the, like, this has never happened to anybody before. And you shouldn't have been able, you shouldn't have gotten this sick and come to find out, you know, lots of women uh, or lots of people, I shouldn't say lots of, but there are people that don't get their diagnosis until they finally get sick because they don't realize they've had it. And it takes, you know, a lot of guesses and finally an HIV test to finally figure it out because either they weren't in a high risk group or, you know, whatever. They were married and didn't know their husband had been having sex outside of the marriage. So yeah, it happens. People sometimes don't know they have it until they're very, very sick and it takes testing them for everything, including HIV. And so my story isn't that uncommon. I mean, it definitely happens. So for my birthday, I was, I am 50 now, 
I really cannot believe I'm 50. It's weird to say I'm the baby of the family and I'm 50. I am the baby. I have an older brother who's five years older and a, my sister's seven years older. We're all in our 50s now. It's so weird. I remember when we were all in our 30s and I felt so grown up. Like, oh, we're all in our 30s. We're so grown up. I'm like, ugh, we're all in our 50s. Oh my gosh. It's like now I'm the age of the of what our parents were when we were in high school, which is, that's, that's so weird to me. I cannot believe that. Cause I still feel like we're like those kids in high school, but we're not. So for my 50th, I knew there wasn't a whole lot to do because of COVID. Everything's closed. I can't really go anywhere. Eric couldn't be here. I couldn't go there. Um, so it was just, you know, time with my kids. And I just told them, I just want to, um, you know, and I don't really care. I'm not that big on celebrating my birthday anyways. It doesn't, I don't know. I just don't like all the hoopla. Like I would never want to have a party or anything like that. So for me, I just wanted to do something that I, that would be memorable. And I had thought about it the week before because I, Ryan and I had gone to West Cliff Drive in Santa Cruz. Um, and on the cliffs, there's, you know, this area where you can jump into the water from a pretty high distance and the kids do it apparently every day at four o'clock kids go out there and jump it's like a thing and it's like very much part of like fraternity and sorority initiation you know type stuff and um I had just never done it I always thought that that would be fun to do so Eric and I had jumped in Maui off I think we think we read that it was about 18 feet black rock and that was in you know bathing suits so I was in a bikini in that which felt really I don't know. There's some something different about being in a wetsuit versus almost naked, jumping into the water from a really high distance. So I felt safer doing it in a wetsuit. So my, I told the kids, I'm going to jump. And none of them have done it. None of my kids have. And I just said, I, that's what I want to do on my birthday. So come with me. We'll go do this. And as I'm driving there, I'm thinking, you know, I might not do it. I don't know. Maybe I'm going to get there and I'm just not going to be able to do it. I don't know. We'll just see what happens. And I just said, can you guys film it? And I'll make a TikTok out of it. You know, I just thought that would be fun. And um, so we get there and Ryan goes around to the other side to film it. And I'm looking down and I'm thinking the water doesn't look that far. Oh, and there was a couple that had just jumped in, a young couple in like their early 20s. And I saw them take a running leap into the water. And I'm like, they're fine. I mean, this is fine. Nothing's going to happen. And so I was going to take a running jump too. But what is really, um, like, it's an interesting phenomenon is that unless there's something in your body that really feels that this is going to be fun, like, there has to be some percentage of you that feels that it's going to be fun and safe. You can't, you can't run and jump. I tried it three times and every time my vision hit the edge, my body would just freeze and I couldn't get myself to go, uh, just take that one, one more leap out beyond. I just couldn't do it. And so what I had to do is just stand on the very end or the edge. And Ryan just, you know, yelled from across, just do it, you know, and Owen was right there filming me too. So I had somebody two different angles. And then I don't know, I just was like, got to do it. And I got to say my, my leap outward was, I feel like I was impressed with myself because I don't think like, I, I don't feel like in Maui, I feel like I just stepped forward and just kind of dropped down. I feel like this one, I actually kind of threw myself outward, which felt like, like I actually wanted to do it or it looked like I put more effort into it. Anyway, it obviously goes by in a split second. And, um, 
I hit the water and I, I've, I, I tried to get through a sweatshirt like two, it was a windbreaker, like a tight windbreaker, not stretchy material at all. It's like that, well, yeah, windbreaker material, just the one with like the hole through the top that's like a zip, it just zips down the front of the neck. Joey had brought it back from the boardwalk like a year ago. Anyways, I had tried to put it on, it was too small, and I, the way I tried to wiggle my arm through the hole, I don't know what, what happened, but I did something to my shoulder. And so my shoulder's been acting up because of this. I pinched something in there. And so when I hit the water, I I could tell right away. I was like, like welcome to 50, right? So it my shoulder kind of flared up a little bit. And then um, that was it. I was just super like, oh my God, it's over. Like I did it. It was awesome. And I swam to the shore and then I found a girl who looked like she was going to jump in. And this was, you know, I had, I had contemplated doing it again. And then I would thought I'm, I'm so like good with it now. I can totally do the running jump. I'm going to do that. And again, I just couldn't, as soon as I like hit the edge, my body stopped. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm not, I'm not doing, I'm like, it's fine. I don't need to do it again. So we go over to the other side of this, you know, um, cliff and there's another area where you can jump and it's, you know, half as high. And there was a girl that was looking over the edge, um, this girl with long blonde hair. And I said, um, I said, are you going to jump in? And her hair was still dry. And she said, well, I'm, I'm thinking about it. And I said, oh, I just did it from the big side over there. It's my birthday. And so I wanted to do it for my 50th birthday. And she goes, well, it's my birthday too. And I, I wanted to do it too. And I said, are you freaking kidding me? I said, what, what, how old are you today? She was 24. It was her golden birthday. So I always feel like someone who has my birthday, August 24th, is like, there's a connection. I mean, how can there not, you feel like they're like, you, well, you know, something like, you know, like every time you hear August 24th, that's your special day. And so that this is another person that was born into the world that every time they hear August 24th, that's their special day. And so you have that in common. You know how that is when you share a birthday with somebody, it's like an automatic you know, bonding moment. And I was like, are you freaking kidding me? So I said, let's get a picture together. So we took a picture together and then we, we jumped together. That was what was in the TikTok. So I shared that on my Instagram and that was into the more shallow side, but it was, it was one of those, wow, this was really meant to be because like, what were the odds that I was going to run into somebody who it was their birthday also, and they were, and there wasn't hardly anybody up there. I mean, what, what were the chances? And, um, and it was her golden birthday on top of it, which I think is really, really, I'm really uh, kind of a, a goof for the golden birthdays. I think they're really neat. So poor Owen, he was born on the first, he never got to experience the uh, golden birthday. So um, yeah, that was, that was really special. And I was, very happy to have been able to do that and then document it. And I love the way the TikTok turned out. I thought it was, it was kind of fun and it's a great thing to look back on and be happy about. That's what I did. And then I made the kids watch Dirty Dancing that night because none of them had seen it. And it's one of my favorite movies. It came out, uh, I think it was three days after my birthday or three days before my 17th birthday. It was 1987 and it was August 21st. That was it. It was three days before my, my birthday. And my girlfriends and I had gone uh, to the movie theaters in Redwood city to go see it. And I just, I, it was not what I was expecting at all. I just couldn't believe how good this movie was. I just, and of course, obviously dirty dancing just went blew up after and you know people were seeing it you know there was dirty dancing like 
people having like tally marks, like they'd see it 200 times. Who's been, who's in the 300 club? I don't know. Either people were going crazy. I shouldn't say people. It was basically women, but you know, it's a great movie. It like the title, doesn't do it justice at all. It's a, it's just, it's a great movie. So I couldn't wait for my kids to watch it. And we got to the, my, one of my favorite scenes of like freaking all time. It was like the scene that made me realize like, I can't wait to have a boyfriend. Cause I didn't yet. Um, at almost 17, I didn't date anybody till I went to college, not by my choice. Just <laughs> no one was interested, but that scene where she goes in the room and, Oh, hello. She goes in the room and it's <laughs> a message from my husband. Um, she goes in the room to dance with Johnny and, Oh, that scene was, it was everything. I mean, I mean, talk about my heart just beating out of my chest, like everything about it. Like she's this younger girl. She's supposed to be this naive younger girl. He's this experienced, he looks like an older man. I mean, he's, and I've never been into Patrick Swayze. I don't know why I just was never like a huge Patrick Swayze fan, but I appreciated him in this movie completely. And I thought he looked fabulous and yeah, his body looked great in that part where she walks around him and she's kind of taken charge and she rubs her hand over the back of his butt cheek. It's like, Oh no, you didn't girl. Oh my God. Did you? Yes, you did. Yes, you did. And he's pulling her shirt off. It's like, Oh my God, we're getting this too. Like, I remember thinking, how far is this going to go? My God, I can't believe we're getting to see all this. And then they finally start kissing and it's just the best. Oh my gosh. I don't know if guys watch this stuff and feel this way, but that scene to this day I can watch and I can still feel the same way about it. And that song, oh, the song. Yeah, it's the best. So anyways, my, my kids, when we got to this part, my girls started screaming and Joey, like, they're just being such teenagers and Joey's like, oh my God, like they're, they're, they're yelling out everything that I probably wanted to yell out in the movie theater, but I couldn't. And so that was really fun because I, um, I ended up sharing that on, I made a TikTok out of it and it was, it went viral. It did. It was a viral TikTok because it was so much fun hearing my kids scream at that moment. And I don't know why, but they let it go viral for like two days. And I don't know, had like 450,000 views. And then, and then they pulled it and they said it went against guidelines. And I'm like, why? Like, I could not figure out why I thought was it because I showed part of a movie and that can't be the case because I see other people show parts of movies, although maybe it was, but it wasn't X-rated by any means. I mean, come on. But anyways, we had some fun with it and having people, you know, relive that scene and write in the comments how much they love that movie and how they just people really loved my kids reaction to it because they got it so much. So that was really fun. And um, yeah, boo on you TikTok because that was that was a really great little video. I tried to re-upload it and they banned it right away again. I was like, oh, I thought I could slip that in and they wouldn't notice, but they did. I hear there's a new documentary on HBO about Action Park in New Jersey and I don't have HBO, so I don't know if I'll just try to pay for it for a month just so I can watch this, um, but I can't stop hearing about it through a few different podcasts that I listen to and um, i I've seen a documentary on Action Park before, but apparently this one's really good. And I am proud to say that I have actually visited Action Park. I was a patron. I went there in my 
the summer between freshman year, no, the summer between sophomore year and junior year of college. And I was dating a boy who was from New York, but his parents were divorced and his dad lived down in San Diego. His dad worked for Callaway Golf. I got to go to Wingfoot. That was the golf course I got to go to in, in New York when I went to go visit him. Anyways, he went to San Jose State because his dad was in California, but his mom was still in New York. And so he went back home to New York, to upstate New York. Yorktown Heights was specifically where he's from. Hi, Scott. No, he'll never hear this. Anyways, so I went out to visit him for, I, I was out there for three weeks. What a really long, I don't, it feels like I was only there two days, but I do remember I had gone for three weeks. His poor mother, like how nice of her to take me in for three weeks when her son was home for college. Anyway, so we went to Action Park with two of the guys that he worked with at this grocery store. And I remember when we drove up, and first of all, I couldn't believe how beautiful New Jersey was. I remember just thinking that New Jersey was going to look like um, Elizabeth, New Jersey, because I knew about Elizabeth because of the Howard Stern show. And I actually went to college with another kid from, I think he was from Elizabeth, but he explained, you know, it's what it was like. And I did get to see Elizabeth, New Jersey, but there are parts of New Jersey, obviously, that are beautiful and very lush and green. And I remember we were just driving in a lot of lush greenness. And I kept thinking, where is there going to be a water slide park? And, you know, all of a sudden there it is. And it's on this hillside because it, I, from what I recall, he was saying that during the winter, it was a like a ski resort or somewhat of one. Maybe they just used like toboggans and stuff. I'm not sure. But in the summer it was, and maybe that's not even true. I'm not totally sure. But anyways, it, you know, it was this, this water slide park during the summer. And he said that they, you know, all the guys in the car knew that they called it traction park and class action park and that people got hurt there. And it was just kind of the fun and all of it. that This place was kind of wild and crazy, but you know, don't worry, you're gonna be fine. Nothing's gonna happen. So I see the cannonball slide. That's the first thing you see as you're driving up to get to the parking lot. And it's that crazy loop-de-loop, the one that goes down the hill and there's a loop at the bottom. And the story I hear about that right away, which I had, it's not been substantiated in any way. I've looked it up and no one ever died in there apparently. But the guys that I was with that day, well, my boyfriend and his two friends, they said, oh yeah, somebody died in there. That's why they had to close it down. Well, or somebody like their legs, you know, like got caught and it, it went behind their head and it broke or, you know, whatever. I heard some crazy stories, but they had to close it down because it wasn't safe. Well, clearly it wasn't safe. I mean, you can look at it and think like, there's, how can that thing be safe? Why are they putting humans down that? There's, you know, it's a dark tunnel and it has a huge loop-de-loop -loop at the end and then it shoots you out of the bottom. So I've heard from the documentary that there's like teeth embedded in inside the loop and that people would get scratched on the teeth that were embedded in it. That seems kind of like far-fetched, but anyways, so that's the first thing you see when you go up. And then we go in and I remember that there was a few different things that I went on that all of them looking back, knowing what I know now as an adult, that anything can happen at any time. And truly you can die at places like this. I don't know if I would have done any of these things that I went on. I mean, I was fine, but they were all terrifying. So there was the one where you go up the staircase to literally, you know, all the way up into the sky and you go on the chute. It's the, like the one slide that shoots you down to the ground. I want to say there was a bump in it. It wasn't straight down. It, there was a good shot straight down. And then I think there was like a bump and then you go down the rest of it. 
and you basically laying on your back completely and you're breaking in water that's i don't know what six inches deep seven inches eight inches and you know a huge cascade of water goes flowing up on either side of you as you're breaking on your back because you're hitting this um you know water at the bottom and it just slows you down you have a long path to go with this water and you're spraying water out to the side because you know it's just momentum it's stopping you but of course at the same time your bathing suit is riding up your back like completely and maybe even you're losing your bathing suit and i remember the guys i was with had said that men would come there at their lunch break and just sit and eat lunch and watch girls go down the slide because they'd end up they'd all end up losing their bathing suits again who knows if any of that is true but i do remember that story I do remember going down it and having to like squat down and fix the back of my bathing suit before I could stand up because it wasn't, I don't remember if I had a bikini on or one piece, but I do remember that the thing was way up my butt and my butt was fully exposed. And this was before, these were in the days when girls didn't walk around with their butts hanging out of their bathing suits. So it was embarrassing. So there was that, I did go on that. And then there's this one where you go into a hole one at a time and they have to hose you down first. I do remember that. Before you go into the hole, you have to be hosed down. So if you've been out and about in really warm wet, because it was, it was warm that day, and then all of a sudden someone's hosing you down with a ho- cold hose water. It was cold. I remember that. It was very cold, but they said it was absolutely necessary so that when you hit the water, you won't go into shock. That's what I remember them saying. And so I didn't really like the idea of this one, but of course they're all, it's fine, it's fine, you're going to be fine, everybody's going to be fine. I'm like, okay, so I, they all go ahead of me, of course, I'm, I'm last, and I get to the part where they have to spray me down, they spray me down, which is, I'm sure it was not fun. I, there, who likes to be sprayed down with cold water? It was the worst. And then you have to put yourself in this tube that you can't see what's uh, up ahead of you. It's black. There's You can't see anything and you don't know. You, no one can see from the outside either where this tube goes. It's like encased in cement. Like it's like in a, I don't know how to explain it. It was like a mountain. And so you don't even know where it's going. And the guys had explained to me that don't worry, you're just going to go through the slide a little bit and then you'll end up in the lagoon. And so I didn't, you know, I really didn't know what to expect. But again, you're like, well, no one's dead here today. So obviously people are doing this and people are okay. So I didn't, I was scared though, but I got into it. And I do recall that there, there were, you know, it's hard to recall exactly what the twist and turns were, of course, because it was pitch black, but there was, I remember like being like, I couldn't, my head couldn't keep up with the right way that it was going. I just remember getting kind of like knocked around because I had no idea if I was going left or right or being, there was a drop or whatever. And before I knew it, I was shot out into the air and dropping from what I could recall was a really significant drop into this dark lagoon. And if you've seen pictures of what this thing looks like, all I remember is everything I was telling my kids, everything was like dark brown and dark green. Nothing was like clear or light blue. Everything felt dark brown and like, you know, opaque, like you couldn't see through this dark water at all and you drop it's a it's a it felt like a big felt like a big ass drop again i could just be having one of those memories where it's you know it was worse than it wasn't as worse as what i'm remembering and then you drop into this water and that is the part that is shocking because this water is very cold and they tell you and i think that's probably the water that they're hosing you down with but it it was really really cold and at the same time there's people that are swinging from these vines into the water 
And I don't remember, but I feel like there was like this possibility of maybe being too close to those people who are like, there's a lot of like room for collisions and injuries. But anyways, I remember I couldn't swim fast enough to get to the ladder to get the heck out of that water. And, um, yeah. And from what I recall though, I don't remember seeing a bottom in that water. I don't, I just know that I plunged into it and it was cold and I just wanted to get out and I had to swim all the way across the lagoon to get to the ladders to get out. And all of that just creeps me out. So, you know, there was other things like um, there's a a toboggan run. Is that what it's called? Where you sit on one of those things that you sort of break with your feet and you go down a cement track. And I remember feeling like I was picking up speed way too quick. And I just so I ended up like going down that much slower than which it didn't make it fun. And I I just felt like if I went without braking, I would have flown off the track, but there was nothing stopping you from flying off the track. It was like, it could definitely happen. It would have gone into grass, but I just felt like I could have lost control of that really easily. Like, it's not like, not like Disneyland where there's no way you can get away from the track. Like this felt like you could lose control and like fly off the track. So I remember being so careful with it that it wasn't even a fun ride. I, I think at one point I got so slow I had to like push with my feet because I got stuck because I had gone too slow at one point and so I lost all my momentum. But it made me think of Disneyland and um, the people that have died in Disneyland and you know there's a story of these two boys who had I guess they had thought that they were going to stay overnight in Disneyland. So they went out onto the island. They took the boat out with the group. And I guess when it was time to go back in, they hid somewhere on the island. And I don't know, maybe this was before the days where they counted how many heads should have been back on the boat for the little trip back to shore. But anyways, these two, it was an older brother and a younger brother. I don't know. I feel like it was like a teenager and like an eight-year-old, something around there. And anyway, they were going to spend the night on the island. I want to call it Davy Crockett Island, but I feel like that's wrong. Anyways, they, so they, they stay on there and apparently they, the park did close. (laughs) They were on the island and they got cold and they got tired and hungry and they decided this wasn't as much fun as they thought it would be. And they decided to swim back to shore. Well, I don't know. If you've been to Disneyland, you know what the distance is from the shore to that island. You you know what that water looks like. And it's dark. And it's, well, first of all, you don't know how deep it is. And I looked it up. I'm going to share that. And so they decide to swim back. But here's the problem. The older boy was the only one who knew how to swim. So the younger one didn't know how to swim. And apparently somewhere on the way across they struggled and the older boy he drowned he did he drowned and the younger boy sort of miraculously he made it he made it to the other side and he survived I don't know their names offhand but that whole story just like whoa I remember hearing that and just being like oh like I can't the thought of being in that water and I you know what creeps me out the most is that Okay, first of all, there are tracks. There are tracks at the bottom of that. It's all man-made. I mean, that, I don't know why, but tracks, 
Ugh, I don't know. It's something about that creeps me out. So those ships are all on a track when they go around. Yeah, they're all on tracks. So here's the, here's the depth of the water. This really, really, I don't know why this bothers me so much. It's four feet deep in its most shallow areas, and it goes to eight feet in the deeper areas. I don't know why knowing that bothers me so much, but it creeps me out to no end. I, I don't even like talking about it. It bothers me so much. And that water, just thinking about how opaque it is and just, well, the whole thing's so creepy. It's so creepy, but it's the best creepy ever because we go to Disneyland and I look at that water. I'm like, would I, would I swim in that? I don't think so. I don't think I could do it. I don't think I could handle swimming from one end to the other. Oh, I mean, and I've sw- I've swum, swam, I've swam in the ocean to a buoy and back um, from the shore out to a boat buoy for, it was for another birthday of mine. <laughs> something else I made my kids do with me. I made them all swim out to this buoy and back. It was something that um, kids have to do for junior guards. And I said, that's what I want to do for my birthday. I think it was like my 43rd birthday. Um we went out there and I had, we all did it because two of my kids were in junior guards at the time and we all had wetsuits on and stuff. And, but yeah, I mean, I remember when we were out by the buoy, you know, we were out, we were out in the ocean where the boats are. And I remember one of the girls saying something like, you know, do you think there's sharks out here? I'm like, could you not like, seriously, right now you have to say that. Like, I'm, it's not like it's in my mind or it can kind of be in my mind, but just to say it out loud, like, please don't, we don't have to say that like right now when we're out in the water and we're like in deep, deep, deep water. And I have really no idea what is below me at all. So that just was unnerving. I don't ever think about it when I'm surfing. I mean, it might cross my mind a little bit, but not in a fearful way, just more in a, wouldn't that be crazy? And oh my God, if I ever saw that fin, you know, that'd be pretty freaking nuts and you do like sometimes I'll think about like when you see someone hit by a shark which is really rare but um it looks like they're hit by like a truck I mean it just hits them hard you know there's like no time to react really so it really is like you're just laying there being peaceful and then something really crazy hard slams into them I don't think it's you really even feel what happens it probably just happens so fast so anyway Um, but yeah, for the most part, surfers don't think about sharks. We just, you don't because it's, you're out there, you're looking for the best wave. That's all you want. You want the wave and you want to make sure no one else is on it and you want to catch it and you want to ride it and you want to ride it well. And, um, surfing is, um, and sharks are just not part of the equation. They're just not, I don't know. It's just so rare to, like we always say, you have a better chance of getting into a car accident on the way to surfing than ever being bit by a shark. So there's that. All right, guys, I'm going to wrap this one up for today. I hope you guys have a great Monday. Thank you so much for listening. And I've got a lot of great stuff coming up. I have people that I will be interviewing And I promise this podcast will just get better and better. Just keep listening. Share it with people you know. Make sure you're subscribing. Rate and review it. I think those things are really important too. And just thanks for being there. Thanks for supporting me and supporting this new little venture of mine. I'm really excited about this. I like this 
kind of platform so much. And I hope that I can continue to grow it and have a cool audience. Okay, guys, I'm going to turn this thing off. I wish I had some music to um, fade out to. Not yet. It'll happen. So it's just my voice. Bye-bye. Okay, guys, bye. If you'd like to be notified for any of my upcoming podcasts, be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to help this girl out, then please rate, review, and share my show. Thanks, guys.